You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mader. We're back today talking about the Thursday night recap. We have a lot to uncap in yesterday's ball game for the fantasy football purposes. And, of course, the late window preview matchups for Week 14 for your first round of the playoffs. So much to get to and more. We get the mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show. Remember, if you ever need help from the MD's Fantasy Football Show or just want to get a chance on the mailbag segment, all you have to do is hit us up at BellyUpMDFFShow on our social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. It does not matter. And make sure you have those notifications updated on Twitter as we will have those player news update notifications coming to you throughout the weekend. And of course, make sure you're checking out our rankings on BellyUpFantasySports.com, which will be getting updated because Friday's a big injury day. Friday's the day we usually find out one way or another, if guys really have a shot at playing or not, and that will dictate you know rankings and values and where where you're going to have to go for your roster construction. And we already have a few surprises that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes as far as guys who may or may not be available in some capacity. And first, though, I, w- I just want to get into the game last night before we get into the injury updates heading into the weekend and, and all of our expectations there. Because I got to get a little egg on my face here. Uh, I was not ready to definitively say that Cam Akers was the lead back for the Rams. Because we've seen this in in this season before. We've seen some guys that we're waiting for to break out, the waiting for to be the guy moving forward, and yet we wind up getting hoodwinked. And they go back to their rotation. At instances like J.K. Dobbins a couple of weeks ago, we got 18 carries and everybody else had two. And yet we got, we had a went right back to a three-man rotation right there on Tuesday. We had instances with the Colts where Jonathan Taylor would get 22 carries and we thought maybe, okay, finally, the Colts realize who they need to get going as they go into their playoff run. Only to lead it up the following week with Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins getting back involved in their usual annoying amount. I wasn't ready to say for the first game that Cam Akers had 21 carries on Sunday that come, come around again on Thursday, he was going to be the guy. I wasn't ready to say it. I was still in the mindset that Daryl Henderson could still wind up getting his workload and we would still be on a three-man rotation. And I was wrong. I was wrong. I'll lead off the show with that. I was dead, dead wrong. Here's the good news. Now, there's no, there's no questions about it. It's definitive. Cam Makers took over this backfield. This was the breakout game. If it was in question at all in any in any terms whatsoever whether or not he should be the lead guy he silenced all those questions yesterday's game 29 carries 29 car- we'll, we'll talk about the actual performance in a minute 29 carries there hasn't been a rams running back who's received that many carries at all this entire season cam makers is the guy moving forward 29 compared to Daryl henderson's two malcolm brown not involved I believe he had a snap in the game. That was about it. 179 yards. 
I'm sorry, 171 yards. Excuse me. Not to mention, he tacked on two catches for 23 yards on three targets in the passing game. Where Malcolm Brown, Dale Henderson were not involved. Cam Akers is the guy moving forward. And while Cam Akers may have been on your benches last night, because you were still wondering, like I was, is he truly the guy? If you were able to make it to the next round, you have a running back, a high-end running back, too, in your hands. Because with all the offensive line woes of the Rams, while when they play better opponents, it might still be difficult to be efficient, he's now had two games where he's gone over 20 carries and had a couple of receptions. That's a high-end RB2 when you compare his skill set, his explosive ability to everybody else's. It's not even close. So Cam Akers is going to be a must-play. And I trust that he will be a must-play from here on out for the rest of the season. So that question got answered last night. And what was otherwise a very boring game... It was good to see a fantasy question get answered last night. It was good to see that. Because we kept getting, it feels like every single week, whenever we're looking for some sort of clarity on a situation, more times than not, we've only gotten more questions, more confusion than we've gotten clarity. So it was good to see a situation finally play itself out here. Cam Akers is the guy moving forward. Now, outside of that, it was a very mediocre game for everybody else involved. Everybody else involved. Thankfully, if you played Cooper Cup, he did get the touchdown at the end of the game. But only five catches and 33 yards on five targets. Robert Woods, five catches, 32 yards on eight targets, but he didn't get the touchdown to save his day. The Rams wide receivers left a lot of people out to dry last night. And hopefully, you'll still be able to survive if you had these guys in your lineups. Hopefully. We're going to see how this all breaks down, though. Jared Goff was just 16-25. and 25. He only threw the ball 25 times. Again, because Cam Akers just dominated this game. The Patriots couldn't stop the run. There was nothing they could do. They got gashed every time he touched the ball. And on the Patriots side of things, that's where I was right. Because I said I didn't want you to touch a Patriots player, period. And the only guy I was considering was Damian Harris, who played efficiently. 11 carries, 50 yards, and 4.5 yards a carry. Even had a catch for zero yards. But then he picks up a back injury in the fourth quarter on a pass protection situation. And now all of a sudden he has a hurt back. And we're going to have to watch what he does next week. But even besides all that, he already had a low ceiling to begin with. You're hoping for a little bit more. And he, being that he looked good, it was just frustrating that they didn't just give him the ball consistently enough. It wasn't like the Patriots could throw the ball on the Rams. The only thing they could do is run the football. Cam Newton was 9 of 16 for 119 yards. No touchdowns. no uh, One interception. This is why he was not in my top 12 heading into this week against the Rams. This was not one of the weeks I was counting on him to fall in the end zone twice. Hopefully, you checked out the rankings on bellyupfantasysports.com and hopefully, you heeded my advice there and hopefully, you didn't have Cam Newton in your starting lineups last night. Because that, Cam Newton, your quarterback giving you basically nothing from a fantasy standpoint because he didn't really rush that much either. He only had 16 yards on the ground. That'll lose some people some weeks if they actually started Cam Newton, without a doubt. So hopefully you did not do that. 
As far as the wide receivers go, Demir Bird was the lead target guy on the day. And for fantasy purposes, you know, everybody was the same. Nikhil Harry, three catches, 49 yards. Demir Bird, five catches, 48 yards. Jacoby Myers, four catches, 47 yards. You're more interested in who's getting the targets to see if there's some kind of value here at the wide receiver position. I still lean towards Jacoby Myers being the best receiver, being the receiver that I would want to own if I'm going to own a Patriots wide receiver. But I would also argue this at this point, that I don't want to own a Patriots wide receiver the rest of the way. There's just too low of a floor when it comes to the volume in this passing game. Unless it's an obvious matchup. So there's nothing really else we have to talk about in that game. So what we do now is that we want to jump into some of the injury updates that we have going on around the league from the early slate of window games that we talked about in yesterday's show when we previewed all the early window games for Week 14. And if you missed that show, go back on your favorite streaming app or go back on the WWSRN uh, app on iOS or Worldwide Sports Radio Network if it's Android and check out the show. You can always go back to that and listen to us again. So make sure you're doing that because you don't want to miss a thing, especially not this week. One injury update we got to talk about right off the bat, A.J. Brown. Now, typically speaking, I don't update A.J. Brown until Friday because all season long, he doesn't practice on Thursdays. He will, he'll go full on Friday, and then he's active on Sunday. So I don't bother giving the injury update until we get the Friday practice report. And we haven't gotten the Friday practice report yet. But the reason this week's a little bit different and why I want to talk about A.J. Brown a little bit here is because he did pick up an ankle issue. It's not the knee issue. It's not a little bit of a hip issue that he had uh, last week. It kind of popped up on the injury report. It was an ankle issue that we all saw. Kind of, kind of rolled it, kind of twisted it. Now, he was able to play through that entire game on Sunday, which is why I still, as of right now, am more of the mindset that he'll find a way to be able to go on Sunday because the dude's just a tough dude. You can't keep him off the field as long as he's able to, as long as he's able to move around. But it was a different injury, and he didn't practice Wednesday. His typical practice schedule this season, since coming off the knee issue, has been he'll practice, at least in some capacity, on Wednesday, not practice Thursday, and then practice full on Friday. But he didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. So that's the reason why this week's a little bit different. That's why I'm bringing it up to monitor. Now, I'm hoping, actually, before this show's over, that we might actually get an update on A.J. Brown. But just in case we don't, that is something you guys are going to want to have to keep your eyes on because it's a little bit different this week compared to others. Another injury update that we have for you guys, DeAndre Hopkins. Now, I we're still pretty sure that he's going to wind up playing as well, but he is listed with a neck injury. He has not practiced the past couple of days on Wednesday and Thursday. So he's another one that we are at least going to want to keep our eyes on for the Friday practice report. We'll tweet that out at BellyUpMDFF Show to keep you guys up to date on all the player news notifications going on. And in the same game, Daniel Jones seems to be inching closer and closer to actually being able to play this week. Joe Judge coming out and saying he's optimistic that he thinks he's going to have Daniel Jones available. Again, for fantasy purposes, Daniel Jones in and of himself doesn't really do much for you, but it's how the wide receivers get affected. Darius Slayton might be more involved. Evan Ingram might be more involved. And these guys will actually be throwing the ball a little bit further down the field. So just some key situations there that do change if Daniel Jones is active and ready to go. Uh, for Tampa Bay, Mike Evans. He popped up on the injury report. He was not out there yesterday. We're going to have to see if he's able to go today at all. If he can't go, all of a sudden, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown's value definitely shoots up through the roof. roof. But we got to see exactly what's going on with Mike Evans. There was something that was a late ad 
There were some reports about him being limited. There were some reports about him not being able to practice at all. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see what's going on there. And we actually just have an update coming through our desk now about DeAndre Hopkins. We just talked about two seconds ago. He is out there working. And Kenyon Drake, who I forgot to mention, who also popped up on the injury report late yesterday with a hip issue. But they are all out in practice uh, today. So they are out there right now. So you can probably rest easy when it comes to those guys and worrying about their availability at the moment. Chicago and Houston, that game, David Johnson. Doesn't sound like David Johnson's going to play this week. Now, Duke Johnson actually didn't practice yesterday because of an illness, but they're more expecting him to be active. There's a non-football-related issue going on with David Johnson right now. That's why he wasn't at practice yesterday. He's not going to be at practice again today. Romeo Cornell came out minutes before the show actually started and talked about he doesn't expect to have David Johnson on Sunday. So it sounds like it's going to be another week of Duke Johnson not a great matchup here. Now, obviously, we'll, we'll change up the rankings and reflect it. Duke Johnson will be an RB3 because even in spelling for David Johnson recently, he, hasn't been very, he wasn't very good except for one game. That's it. And that was a game against the Detroit Lions. And even then, it was a serviceable game, but it still wasn't a great game. Unless they get Duke Johnson involved in the passing game, unless he's, he's kind of like Giovanni Bernard. Unless you're going to give him five to seven targets, it doesn't really matter what you give him on the ground game. It's not going to be efficient. But unless and you have to give him five to seven targets for him to be fantasy relevant. And that's not something that Houston does consistently run enough right now. And against Chicago, it's not a good matchup here for any running back, especially with a healthy Akeem Hicks. So when I look at Duke Johnson, I look at a guy who can't be anything more than RB3 just due to volume, but not because I'm excited to play him. So that will have to get changed there if David Johnson is, in fact, officially ruled out, which is trending to be in that direction. Another really bad news for running backs out there. Christian McCaffrey, we noted it in yesterday's show that he didn't go out and practice. We say he was going to be a big question mark, and he didn't practice yesterday. We just got note before we came on the show that Christian McCaffrey is not out there practice right now either which unfortunately means that I would be highly doubtful that he actually gets to play on Sunday. Now, Matt Rule already came out and said that he wasn't expecting to have Christian McCaffrey after yesterday's practice. We were holding out hope that what if he's able to come back and you know be able to play or be able to come out and do something in practice on Friday just to see how his thigh issue responds. And now we're left with no Christian McCaffrey this week. So you got to go back to Mike Davis. you got to go back to whatever your plans were leading up to this point that have gotten you to this point without Christian McCaffrey in the first place. But for those of you out there who thought you were going to have that advantage over your opponent in that first round of the playoffs, I don't think you're going to have it this week. And it's really, it's really unfortunate. It really is because we've been waiting for Christian McCaffrey to come back. And now you have to hope Carolina wins this game because if they don't and they're not actually in playoff contention, you have to wonder, will they bother to bring Christian McCaffrey back at all this season or is this going to turn into what is apparently a Joe Mixon situation? So that's something we have to worry about and keep our eyes on as well. The Raiders game, well, we'll talk about the Raiders game in just a little bit here. I think that actually does it for the uh, early window injury updates that we had to talk to you guys about from yesterday's show. Again, make sure make sure you go back. Check it out. At Belly Up MDFF Show, MD's Fantasy Football Show, available to you on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to go. 
and also available on WWSRN on iOS or the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android. Make sure you check out that show. Okay, so now we can get into what this show is really about. And this show is really about, of course, the late window of games, getting you guys all set up for that preview, what our expectations are when it comes to those games, what our expectations are when it comes to your fantasy football first-round playoff matchups. So exciting. We're finally here on the way to the championship. So let's talk about the Colts and the Raiders this week. Philip Rivers continues not to practice, but we know he's going to play. The question here is T.Y. Hilton. Is T.Y. Hilton back from the grave enough that you can actually play him against the Raiders, against a non-Houston team? <laughs> now he's coming off two games in a row where he's had a touchdown. He's coming off two games in a row where he's led the receivers in targets. He's coming two, off two games in a row where physically he's looked well. He's looked good. I have T.Y. Hilton ranked as wide receiver 27. So I do have him as a high-end wide receiver 3. I think there's a ceiling there against the Raiders. They're not going to have Jonathan Abram again, which will lead into some of Jonathan Taylor's value we'll talk about in a second. But as a whole, a bad Raiders defense becomes horrendous when Abram's not on the field, whether it's passing or, or rushing the football. doesn't matter which. T.Y. Hilton, I think, is somebody you can actually use this week. Now, you got to keep him more as your wide receiver three, as your flex. He's that guy you're plugging in your lineup because you feel like you got to hit a home run. That's what he is. If you're just looking for a floor, if you just need to keep status quo, you need to make sure you don't have a guy who bottoms out in that situation because you have a pretty good matchup against your opponent or you have other guys who have really good ceilings heading into this week so you don't necessarily need to take unnecessary shots with big hit-or-miss guys like a T.Y. Hilton, then you don't need to do it in that situation. But if you have, we talked about yesterday's show, if you have a Dalvin Cook as one of your running backs, you have a Nick Chubb, maybe just have a limited ceiling based on the matchups that they have this week and you feel like you need to get that extra pop somewhere, T.Y. Hilton can be that guy. I, I didn't think I would have any confidence in any Colts pass catcher at any point this season, especially not now in the most crucial part of the year because of the way they just rotate through their skill players, the way they game plan, the way they get these guys involved. It's just a different guy every single week. But I think when it comes to T.Y. Hill and when it comes to this situation, I feel like you kind of have to. You kind of have to have some confidence because of what he's done the past couple of weeks, especially last week against Houston, and the fact that we know T.Y. Hilton's actually a good player. And physically, he doesn't look like he's lost a step to me. Physically, he looks like T.Y. Hilton to me. So there's no reason in my mind why, if he continues to get eight targets, which he should, why he can't perform again. So I have Hilton as a wide receiver three that you can take a shot on in your fantasy football playoffs. Outside of that, the only other fantasy-relevant player that I'm talking about that I'm even considering putting in my lineups this week would be Jonathan Taylor. I have an RB17. He's an RB2. He has been at least leading the way in opportunities for the backfield, although they are back on there. Wilkins has to get involved. Naeem Hines has to get involved for whatever reason. Again, though, this is a great matchup, especially for running backs, because when Abram doesn't play for the Raiders, there's nothing they have that can stop anything, anything at all, when it comes to opponents' rushing attacks. So in hopefully, the Colts should, should be winning this game. Should. Even though it's on the road, they should be leading in this game come the fourth quarter. Hopefully they don't turn to Jordan Wilkins to be the guy. They should 
get Jonathan Taylor at least 15 carries in this game, and that should be enough for him to have a very good game, at least have an RB2 game. So I am going to play Jonathan Taylor with some confidence because of what the Raiders are, and I'm banking on him actually getting at least 15 touches in this game, which should be enough. Game script-wise, it should wind up being more. It should be closer to 20, and ideally and ideologically and schematically and and Talent-wise, it should always be 20 when it comes to Jonathan Taylor. But given the situation, we have to look at is is he going to get at least 15 against this defense? My answer to that question, I truly believe, is yes. He is going to. So you can play Taylor as an RB, too. On the Raiders' side of the ball, Josh Jacobs was able to come back yesterday and practice in limited capacity. And that's the first time we've seen him practice in about two weeks. In, in, about, in about two weeks, I believe it has been. So that's great news because now all of a sudden with Josh Jacobs possibly being back, you'll be able to play him. He's a must play, obviously. But here's my one caveat to that. You have to lower, again, it's another guy where you're going to have to lower your expectations as far as what his ceiling can be. Kind of I mean, not on the same level as a Dalvin Cook or a Nick Chubb, but Josh Jacobs has been, for the most part, a low-end RB2 when he's been out there healthy and playing. Or, I'm sorry, a low-end RB1, a high-end RB2. This week, I have him as a mid-level RB2. I have an RB15. Buckner is back for that Colts defensive front. When Buckner plays, you can't run on these guys. You just can't. So it makes it really tough for Josh Jacobs, especially who's coming off this ankle issue and just practiced for the first time yesterday, to really believe he's going to be overly effective this particular week. It's hard to imagine that. Now, uh, uh, we got to hit the breaking news sounder actually real quick while a player we just talked about earlier on in the show to open things up. Breaking news. We have Mike Evans practicing in full, Bruce Arians said. So that's great news there. We're a little bit worried about... Uh, Bruce, we were a little bit worried about Mike Evans being able to go after yesterday being added to the practice report, but he is a full go, so Mike Evans will be out there, and you can expect the same fantasy value that we talked about from him yesterday, which is a mid-to-high-level wide receiver, too. So all good news there on the Mike Evans front. So we're still, still talking about Josh Jacobs, still talking about the Raiders. So just make sure you have lowered your ceiling expectations on a Josh Jacobs. So, again, when it comes to roster construction, if that means you have to take a shot on a T.Y. Hilton or another boomer bust type of player in your lineup because you don't necessarily have the same ceiling you normally would with a Josh Jacobs because of the matchup here and the situation with his injury, well, then make sure you, you do so as such. You're not going to look for a floor play in that flex play or the extra wide receiver spot. So that's why that matters. Outside of that, I mean, Darren Waller, obviously, you know, Bonafide elite tight end. You're locking him in. I got him at tight end two on the week. He's going to probably be my tight end two the rest of the season behind Travis Kelsey only. The only other guy that I look at sometimes is Nelson Aguilar because the targets have been there. His performance over the past few weeks, even though I keep wanting to look at him and go to him and some of the matchups that he's had, I thought he would be an interesting play, especially I played him a lot of DFS lineups and it kept blowing up in my face. But the targets have been there. He had 11 targets last week. He should have had the game-winning touchdown on the first play, had Derek Carr thrown a nice ball the first time the Jets called a stupid all-out blitz with 40 yards to go and 12 seconds left to lose the game. It should have been him the first time, not, not Henry Ruggs, which is what it wound up being. But 11 targets. 
of the pass catchers of the Raiders, as the wide receivers go anyway, not named Darren Waller, he's been the guy who's most consistently been the high-target guy, who's had the volume. Now, this isn't a great match against the Colts, which is why I'm not going to look to play him here. I have him at wide receiver 39, but I just wanted to mention him because he's the only other guy that I look to to possibly contemplate playing when it comes to the Raiders, but I'm not going to look to play him this week if I can help it. But the targets have been there. It's a guy who's going to be on my radar as we move through the fantasy playoffs. Is a guy you can kind of pick up, plug, and play if need be. And maybe take a shot on, too. Let's move into our next game. Let's talk about the Jets and the Seattle Seahawks. We're still waiting to see exactly if Frank Gore is going to be activated, although he has been able to practice in limited capacity. So he should be clearing the concussion protocol, we would imagine by Sunday, which is going to completely take away from any aspiring people out there who thought Ty Johnson could possibly be a thing because of his explosive ability and what he was able to do last week by going over 100 yards. You can't trust a Jets player. And the only Jets player who I really wanted to play this week was Jamison Crowder, and now we don't know if he's going to definitely play this game. He's questionable with a calf injury that he picked up in practice yesterday. Now, from what I understand, it sounded like Crowder was going to try to be active on a limited capacity in today's practice. We'll see if that's going to hold true or not, because I'll go a long way in dictating whether or not he's going to be active on Sunday. But either way, I'm not playing a less than 100% Jameson Crowder. I already don't want to play him that much if he is 100% healthy. But you know Sam Darnold and Adam Gase and the slot receiver, and if, if he was going to be 100% healthy, I had him at wide receiver 23. So I had him at a low-end wide receiver 2 this week against Seattle, where I thought he was going to have to be leaned on heavily because you also have Denzel Mims. Not that you were going to play him for fantasy football purposes, but he's going to be out this week. If we have a situation here where Crowder's out and we have already Mims who's been ruled out, Rashad Perryman is someone I'm going to have to pay attention to and probably will be updating in the rankings as, as a boomer bust wide receiver three. Somebody's going to be out there on the waiver wire too. So if you're looking through your roster construction and thinking to yourself, i got to find a way to hit a ceiling somewhere, Rashad Perryman might wind up being a guy who becomes available to you because if nobody else can get the ball, well then he's going to have to get targeted. And we know he has big play capabilities and is a good matchup against Seattle. Even though Seattle's defense has played much better as of late, if one guy who has big play capabilities getting all the targets, you have a decent shot at a boom performance. So that's something to keep your eye on. If you're out there, you're looking, you're trying to find a flex, a wide receiver three, at least you feel like has at least a shot to go big. Perryman could wind up being that guy, depending upon the, the next injury report that we get out of the Jets for Jameson Crowder. So on the Seattle side of things, everyone seems to be getting healthy. You know, Chris Carson limited in practice all week. So is Carlos Hyde, but they're expected to be active and good to go. We know Metcalf and Lockett and, and Russell Wilson are all good to go. And I have all these guys as must plays. I have Chris Carson as a low-end RB1, high-end RB2 this week. I have Tyler Lockett as a high-end wide receiver 2 this week. And DK Metcalf's my wide receiver 3 overall for fantasy football this, this week. And Russell Wilson's my number 2 quarterback behind just Patrick Mahomes. I know that this passing attack and this offense in particular has not looked as sharp over the past few weeks. They're going through this cold stretch that I feel like we see Seattle and, and more specifically Russell Wilson go through every single season. It always happens. It's, it's changed through the years exactly when during the year it happens. It used to be that it always happened in the beginning of the season. It took Russell Wilson forever to get going. And then from there, 
it was the end of the season, the past couple of years, where suddenly he would taper off. So that's where we're at now. Now this year, it kind of hit his cold streak a little bit earlier than he normally does. A little bit earlier than he normally does. So, I think he's going to snap out of it, is my point. Because that's what usually happens. You'll go through a month, it's cold, he's not playing like himself, he's the guy you've been leaning on as a top five quarterback, and then all of a sudden he's playing more like a a low-end QB1. And then, then, he bounces right back into your elite status. Bounces right back into a top three quarterback. I'm looking at this game against the Jets as an opportunity for the Seattle offense, who has lost our identity to some degree over the past few weeks, as an opportunity to get right. It's a get-right game. The Jets is the perfect opportunity to get right. Get back to their identity. Get back to Russell Wilson getting on the same page with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and throwing the ball down the field. This is that perfect opportunity for them. And I think they'll take advantage of it. And Chris Carson, we know that because he's the bell cow back and what he can do in the passing game, even if the rushing attack isn't efficient right now because that offensive line isn't efficient at the moment when it comes to actual run blocking, he still gets worked in as being a high-end RB2 almost every single week because of what he can do, his scoring ability. And he's one of the better running backs that are, are not hurt right now. You go through these rankings, I and mean, you go to bellafantasysports.com, and you look at... You look at my rankings for the running backs. Once you get outside the top 15 running backs, it's not guys you would expect to see up there. It's not guys with a ton of talent or good situations this season. That's why you see a lot of these guys that even though they haven't been performing as well as you would like them to, let's say from running back 7 to 15, you realize why they're still there because they're still, they still have the talent, they're still getting the opportunities, and that's all that really matters the running back position. What was supposed to be a... Coming into the season, if you remember, this was supposed to be a run-heavy year. It was supposed to be a year where the running backs were going to really shine because we had so many good, talented running backs in situations where they were supposed to get the bell cow work and we were going to see all these running backs really pay dividends. That hasn't worked out at all. Now, part of that, without the offseason program, I think, and I talked about this when we were leading into the season, that affects the offensive line more than any position out there, not having an offseason to get ready. You got to get back into the mold. It's not just about getting in shape for the offensive lineman. It's about building chemistry. It's about getting that physical mentality worked back into you after being off the offseason and getting used to not actually being hit all the time. It's a mentality you have to get back into. It's something you have to get used to. It's why not having an offseason program affects offensive lines more than any other position. It's shown this season. It's 100% shown this season. And I think that's what's led to a lot of these running backs disappointing. That's why Chris Carson, I have him as a low-end RB1, high-end RB2, because he can still get the ball in the reception game, and this offense just gives him opportunities to be able to do things, be opportunities to be able to score. So I'm playing all of my Seattle Seahawks players, and I think this is a game where they can get right and get back on track and get back to what we came to expect out of them for most of the season, just in time for your playoffs. Let's talk about our next game. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions. A lot of things actually to get into in this matchup. We'll start on the Packers side of the ball because it's pretty straightforward this week. Because we're not dealing with too many injuries. Rodgers, QB3. 
obviously you're firing him up. There's a great match against Detroit. Everybody involved is going to have a good game. Aaron Jones, RB3, has the potential to be the RB1 in this matchup against Detroit, especially since now, over the past couple of weeks, last week in particular, he's seemingly playing well ahead now of Jamal Williams. Where before coming off the calf injury, it seemed like they were still trying to play Aaron Jones with kick gloves to some degree. They still wanted him to be in a situation where he wasn't overexerting himself because the Packers are being extra cautious with Aaron Jones. Last week, he took the lead not only in touches, but he took the lead way far down the road with snaps, which was the big indicator that he's, he's definitely now the bona fide starter and back to where we expected Aaron Jones to be as an Aaron Jones you know, fantasy player who's excellent. So he's back to there. He's back to that point. And now, just in time for this matchup against Detroit. So I have him as RB3 overall. He has the potential to be the RB1 of the week. Devontae Adams is my wide receiver two overall heading into this week. Definitely has potential to be the wide receiver one. Tyreek Hill is my wide receiver one, in case you're wondering. Devontae Adams has been unreal this season. He he looks he looks like I don't want to say the, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. Arguably, because you look at it, and there's so many wide receivers, you can make an argument for a handful of guys. But he's arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL this year. From a fantasy standpoint, I don't know if there's anybody more consistent, especially when it comes to scoring touchdowns. The only other guy that you would, I don't know, maybe have to question about playing would be Robert Tanyan. He's tight end 15 for me this week. That's probably a little bit too low. I'll probably wind up bringing him up before Sunday into the top 12. But he's a definite play for me this week. If you've been streaming tight ends, you got, you know, it depends on your options too, because there's still other options I would rather play over a Robert Tanyan because there's still that floor, like there is with a lot of other tight ends in that range. But there's still that floor where it could be an Adams week, it could be a Lazard week, maybe he gets worked back in a little bit more, or Aaron Jones could just flat out dominate because of Detroit Lions defense. And we might see, you know, Robert Tanyan get left out of the game plan a little bit when it comes to actually getting the ball thrown to him. But he's been more consistent over the past few weeks. It seems like the Packers have finally carved out a way for Adams and Tanyan to get their targets for them both to be effective, because that's kind of what was happening earlier on in the season. If Adam was out, then you knew Tanyan was going to have a good game, but if they were both on the field together, it kind of took away from what Tanyan was going to have as far as opportunities go. Now, all of a sudden, they've been getting the opportunities to Adams and to Tanyan, surprisingly enough, with Adam Alan Lazard returning. Then they've been able to have a better ch- a time getting both of those guys' targets with Alan Lazard in the mix. Which is just an odd thing to say, but it's, it's the fact of what's been happening in the situation. So Tanya is definitely a guy who can be a top 12 tight end if you're looking through your options there, especially in this matchup, but he's been able to get his work now with Adams. Nothing else to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Like I said, everything's straightforward. You're playing everybody. They're all elite plays. Detroit Lions, there's more to, there's more to dissect. So first and foremost, it looks like DeAndre Swift's going to play, which is great news. Glad that he's recovering from the concussion. Glad he's recovering from the illness or whatever was going on in that situation. He's been at practice in a limited capacity all throughout the week. Bevel already came out and pretty much said that he expects to have DeAndre Swift for this game. Kind of like how bad the Detroit Lions are for the, for the running backs, or a or, or great matchup, I should say, for the running backs because they're so terrible. Green Bay is just as bad, if not worse, than Detroit when it comes to actually stopping the run. DeAndre Swift has... A hell of a ceiling this week against the Green Bay Packers. 
the only thing I would be concerned about as a DeAndre Swift owner this week when you're when you're assessing his value, the only thing I'd be concerned about is that being that he's this is his first game back in a couple of weeks, will they go back to just letting him be the bell cow guy or do they have a game plan in place where they're going to kind of revert back a little bit to where they were in the beginning of the season to make sure DeAndre Swift is good to go. And what that would mean, of course, is that Adrian Peterson is still getting worked in. Even on Johnson, to some degree, is getting worked in. And all of a sudden, we have you know, a committee backfield going on approach in this game. That's the only thing I would be worried about when it comes to DeAndre Swift this week. I'm definitely playing him. There's no doubt about it. Swift is in my lineup in this matchup for sure. It's not going to take away from that. I have him as RB19. That could very well be too low. He could very easily finish in the top 12 this week against the Green Bay Packers. But I have him at RB19 reflecting that concern of will you truly get to be the bell cow back or am I going to have to deal with Adrian Peterson getting 8 to 10 carries in this game? That's going to be the question, and that's going to be a possibility. But he's definitely in my lineup no matter what. The other interesting news to come out of Detroit this morning is that Kenny Galladay, who we thought this was going to be another week as of yesterday, we thought this was going to be another week where he's just, he's just not going to be active. And at this point, if he wasn't going to be active this week, was he going to come back at all this season? Apparently, they actually think he might be limited in practice today. And Bevel came out and said that that, if he's available, if he's able to practice today, and if he can be active on Sunday, that he may have a limited role. So basically, they're already coming out and saying that if he does play this week, he'll be on a pitch count. So you're not going to play Kenny Galladay this week, even if he's active. He's been out for too long. You don't know how much they're going to actually let him play. You've gotten to this point without Kenny Galladay. I would not take the chance on him playing this week. I have him at wide receiver 26. He's going to come way down for me by the time we hit Sunday. On those rankings on BellyOfFantasySports.com. He's going to come way down on me. Marvin Jones will get pushed up. Somebody who's sitting there as a wide receiver 4, he'll get pushed up in the wide receiver 3 territory. Because they're, they're letting you know he's going to be on a pitch count. And I truly believe him when they, when they say that. That's if he's even active. But here's the silver lining. They are talking about Kenny Galladay being active for this game, which means I no longer have the fears that I did when we were talking about whether or not Kenny Galladay was going to be a Joe Mixon situation where we don't believe he's actually even going to bother coming back this season. And with his contract in the balance, there was real reason for him to maybe not come back. Because he's going to get a long-term contract. Whether it's with Detroit or another team, Kenny Galladay is going to get paid this offseason. So there was real reason to think that maybe he wouldn't come back. But I do believe that he will now. Because you're talking about him being active this week. So the hope that you would want to have as a Kenny Galladay owner is, one, of course, you weren't you win this first round of the playoffs. But two, that he is active, out there in a limited capacity, and then next week, when they go to ramp up his workload, you can actually utilize him. And I believe they're playing the Tennessee Titans next week, so it's a good matchup there for Kenny Galladay as well. So that's the interesting development that we have going on as far as the Galladay you know, issues are concerned, the status update there. As far as everybody else who I know we're going to use for fantasy football purposes for the Detroit Lions, like I said, Kenny Galladay, whether he's active or not, Marvin Jones will wind up being a wide receiver three by the time I update my rankings heading into this weekend. He was excellent last week, 
this Detroit offense in general, and we're about to get into Matthew Stafford now on this too, because I have Matthew Stafford ranked a QB 13 this week, even though on paper it's not a great matchup. This offense is much more aggressive. With Bevel, with, with Patricia gone and Bevel back, they are back to being they're back to being the Detroit Lions. They're back to being what we've come to know since Matthew Stafford's taken over at the quarterback position. That's be a team that's not afraid offensively to be aggressive and throw the ball down the field and take shots. And Marvin Jones, as a result of that, really benefited last week with eight catches and over 100 yards. So if Kenny Galladay, whether he's you know, whether he's inactive or active on a limited pitch count basis, I know the Green Bay Packers have been good against perimeter wide receivers. But so is Chicago. Detroit just lit Chicago up. If Matthew Stafford is given the green light to sling it, and it looks like he does have that green light on a bevel, and that's going to be their game plan, well, then you can play Marvin Jones with some confidence. And at the very least, he's going to have a high floor. And Matthew Stafford, to me, whether he has Galladay or not, in a game against the Packers where there's going to be points to be had, and he's probably going to have to come back from behind in the second half, he's a QB 13 for me. He's a streaming option this week. And he might wind up being a must-play for me next week against Tennessee. TJ Hawkinson is a must-play every single week. I got him a tight end six on the week. He, he's, he's a top-five guy if you're looking at rest of season value. TJ Hawkinson has been there every single week so far this season with a high floor. Hasn't been high-ceiling games, hasn't won you in a week or anything like that, but him being a solid tight end is enough to win you some matchups with the tight end situations out there, as long as you're not playing against Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side. We still have a few more games to get to. We still have the mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show. So everyone, we have a lot more information. Stay tuned right after these messages. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we've been going over these late window preview games. We talked about the Thursday night recap earlier on the show. We talked about some injury updates from our show yesterday where we talked about the early window of matchup previews. Make sure you go back and check that out on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or on WWSRN, iOS, or Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android to check that out. We've been talking about some of these late window games. We're keep going through this. We have a mailbag segment for you guys. We have a lot of content to talk about. We have to kick this thing off on this next segment with the New Orleans Saints and the Philadelphia Eagles. Doesn't look like Drew Brees is going to play. Not, not this week, anyway. Now, maybe he's back week 15, and that's been... I mean, that was the timeline the entire time is when we thought we would have Drew Brees back, quite frankly. It was, it was week 15. That's when we thought we'd have him. So against the Philadelphia Eagles, it looks like it's Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is QB9 for me this week. Now, there's a little bit lower of a ceiling expectation that I have for him and a lot of people really have for him, and for good reason. Although the Philadelphia Eagles have had a lot of issues this season, the one thing that's remained pretty consistent is they've had a solid defense really every single week. And being that it's a defense that's hard to run on, while it's different with a quarterback running on you than a running back, because Taysom Hill kind of runs like a running back, you kind of have more of an expectation that maybe he's not going to find as many holes to run through. Maybe when they get down with the goal line, it's not going to be as easy for him to just go in that power formation and be able to run it in. 
Now, Hill's always going to have the potential for rushing touchdowns, and last week was the first week that he didn't have any rushing touchdowns. He had two passing touchdowns. Here's one of the things that does get a little bit easier for him. I think he's going to have an easier time throwing the football in this game than people are really expecting him to coming in. And the reason for that is Darius Slayton, or Dar- not Darius Slayton, I'm sorry, Darius Slay may not be able to play in this game because he has the calf issue. And even if he does, he's going to be very limited. I expect Michael Thomas to be able to do his thing in this game. And as long as Michael Thomas is able to get open on a consistent basis, we've seen Taysom Hill lean on him to this point when it comes to throwing the football. If he has his safety blanket out there to be able to move the chains on a consistent enough basis, then it might lead to his rushing attack and his rushing ability. And all that's said and done, that's why I have him at QB9. I still have him as a low-end QB1. I think you can play him this week. I expect the Saints to win this game. If they win the game, that would be because Taysom Hill was able to do some things for them. The other reason for that is I flip it on the other side, and a lot of people don't look at it this way, but when you had in Jalen Hurts, and when it was going to be Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts, the Saints defense is playing really well right now. Really well. They're just, they're just matching up. They're healthy. They're getting a pass rush. The only guy who might be banged up in this game is Patrick Robinson for the slot receiver, but they're playing really well. No one's having an easy time right now. The Saints defense is back to what we thought it was going to be coming into the season. So whether it's Carson Wentz, whether it's Jalen Hurts, and of course it's going to be Jalen Hurts this game, I don't think the Eagles' offense is going to have much success, which also bodes well for Taysom Hill because if the game script doesn't get out of hand and stays in the favor of the Saints or it stays close, then Hill will be able to run and do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and play it safe and kind of do what he's done the past few weeks. Like I say, he has a low ceiling when it comes to his passing, his passing ability. I think we kind of understand that at this point because he's only had really success last week against the Atlanta Falcons, which everyone has success against the Atlanta Falcons throwing the football. Everyone. Except for the Raiders that one week. That's it. But his rushing ability maintains that there will be a floor. So that's why he's a QB9 for me this week. I think he can still play him against the Philadelphia Eagles. Alvin Kamara who also has a tough matchup, and of course dealing with Taysom Hill being the starting quarterback, you know that his targets are, you know, maybe he gets three, maybe he gets four. It's not how they're playing the game right now, just setting up Alvin Kamara throwing the football with Taysom Hill, the quarterback situation, so we, we understand that part of it. But I still have him as RB9. The big thing I saw last week, and I talked about going into that game that I thought was a possibility, is that Alvin Kamara is healthy. He was dealing with the toe issue. I don't think he was 100% healthy over those first couple of weeks with um, that toe issue with Taysom Hill as first starting off quarterback. So it w- I think you had this perfect storm when it came to Alvin Kamara, where you have Taysom Hill and the game plan now that doesn't surround throwing the ball to Alvin Kamara at every turn, combined with the idea that he wasn't 100% healthy, therefore you had Latavius Murray still getting at least 50% of the carries, if not more, in a couple of those games rendering Alvin Kamara owners to sit there and scratch their heads and wondering, what can they do? Because you have to play Alvin Kamara. And I said last week, that's why you always play him. You don't bench him. Came through. He was healthy. We knew that going in because of the practice reports coming out that week that he was finally healthy with the toe issue. He was practicing in full. And it led to what I thought it might lead to, which is Alvin Kamara, instead of being involved in the passing game as his big way that he dominates the opportunities, he was more involved in the rushing game. He had, I believe it was 15 carries to Latavius Murray's five. I expect that to happen again this week. 
The Saints are in a dead heat with the Green Bay Packers to try to get that first round by. They have to keep winning these games. They're going to lean on a healthy Alvin Kamara in the running game to do so, more so than Latavius Murray. So I expect Kamara to get most of the carries in this game, and therefore he will still lead the way in the opportunities total for the running backs. Not a great matchup, I agree. But Kamara's a different kind of cat. Kamara's a different kind of running back. He's got an extra gear that most people don't. And if the Eagles wind up having their backs broken because Jalen Hurts isn't able to give them what they're hoping for offensively, we might see Alvin Kamara kind of grind this game out a little bit at the end. So I'm still playing Alvin Kamara. I'm still expecting low-end RB1 performance out of him. But you can put him in the same line with your roster construction that we've talked about over the past two shows now with the guys like Josh Jacobs and Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb, guys that might have lower ceilings than you would normally expect out of them as part of your roster construction and other places of having to take some shots. Kamara can fit that mold as far as that lineup construction goes for you this week. But I'm playing him and expecting an RB1 performance. Michael Thomas, we talked about him a little bit as far as why I think Taysom Hill can still be a QB1. Obviously, that means I think Michael Thomas is going to have a pretty good game. I have him as wide receiver 9 on the week as well. I have him as a wide receiver 1. The only guy I'm not going to play is Jared Cook. He's just not involved enough. The passing attempts, the volume is just not there enough. I know he scored a touchdown, but I'm not going to play Jared Cook here. He just hasn't been enough of a factor really all season long. And at this point, I think we kind of been able to figure out what streaming tight ends are really out there and available to you guys. And a lot of them have much higher floors and much better ceilings than a Jared Cook. So let's move over to the Philadelphia Eagles side of the ball. Let's talk about Jalen Hurts and what that does from a fantasy perspective for the rest of this offense. And I don't know how much it changes because we're already kind of at the point where I don't think you wanted to play a Philadelphia Eagle wide receiver if you could at all help it. I don't think we were at that point anyway. It's, do you want to play Miles Sanders, and what tight end can you trust? And I'm a little worried. We'll talk about the tight ends first. I'm a little worried about Dallas Goddard. He's been the guy. He's finally been performing well over the past few weeks. But Zach Ertz came back. His first game was last week. So we expected him to kind of be limited to some of the capacity, and Dallas Goddard was still playable, and Dallas Goddard still had a good game. This week, I expect Zach Ertz to play a little bit more. With Jalen Hurts, a new quarterback, there's also going to be a new report. Now, the tight ends, as far as his offense is concerned, aren't going anywhere as a unit. They're still going to be leading the way, I, I believe, as an offense. They're still going to have a lot of two tight end sets out there where they'll both be on the field at the same time. But between Zach Ertz playing more, a change at quarterback, which will probably lean to a change in offensive schematics, this week, especially, they've already kind of talked about, and we'll get into Miles Sanders in a minute, we've already talked about how they're going to be already setting up a lot more RPOs. A quarterback in Jalen Hurts, who I don't think is a very good quarterback, I don't think he's very accurate, I think he is a career-long backup when they drafted him in the first place. I don't think he's the answer, I don't think he's a franchise guy. And against the Saints defense, I think he's really going to struggle. I think his offense is going to struggle. So I don't know if you have a better option than Dallas Goddard at the tight end position right now, especially since you've been leaning on him to get to this point. But what I am telling you is that I have very low ceiling expectations when it comes to all of the skilled players involved. Now we move into Miles Sanders. 
He's RB27 for me this week. So if you want to play him as your flex, you can do so. But no one's been able to run the ball successfully against the Saints. And the only reason I even open up the idea of that Miles Sanders can even still be in your lineup because, frankly, I was this close away from saying that Miles Sanders cannot be started, period, this week. He wasn't even going to be in my top 36. The only reason I moved him into 27 and made him at least a flex consideration in a matchup against the Saints where the Eagles' offensive line has been completely horrendous all year long, and I don't expect him to get much of a push in this one, is because of Jalen Hurts' legs, the RPO action, the mobile quarterback, typically speaking, finds a way to get the running back a more efficient, better looks than they normally would, even when they have bad offensive lines. It's the only reason I moved Miles Sanders into an RB3 situation. Otherwise, I don't even know where I would play him. And even now, I would still look at what your options you have in front of you are. Miles Sanders is not a must-play to me this week. He's in the flex conversation, but he's not a must-play. Maybe things change with Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position, and I think that's what you have to tell yourself if you are going to play Miles Sanders this week. But he's got to get more involved in the passing game. He's got to be more of a bell cow guy like he was at the end of last year where people fell in love with him and, and were you know riding him. He hasn't been that guy. Boston Scott's been getting involved. Jordan Howard, who they newly acquired, has been getting involved in short yard situations now. But the biggest thing is that he hasn't been getting the ball targeted to him, which makes no sense. Carson Wentz has been horrible this year, but it makes no sense from an offensive standpoint not to make Miles Sanders a featured weapon in the passing attack when you have a terrible offensive line and getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly needs to become really a staple of the offense right now. Maybe it does with Jalen Hurts. Maybe the schematic change in the that comes with changing of the quarterback will lead the Philadelphia Eagles to doing some things that they should be doing in the entire time in the first place. Maybe it does. But I don't love this match against the Saints, and that's why he's nothing more than an RB3 to me. Let's move on into the Atlanta Falcons and the Los Angeles Chargers. Let's talk about this one. Julio Jones is out. So we haven't been able to change the rankings yet to reflect that, but Julio Jones is out. Now, what does that do for everybody else involved? I think we all understand this. I've talked about this several times. Matt Ryan will get moved down. He was my QB10. He won't be a playable option to me anymore. Todd Gurley, who's already been dealing with a knee injury, and, and last week, last week it was abundantly apparent that this guy did not belong out in the NFL field. I don't know why he was active. He shouldn't have been. No reason for it. So I don't know how much you can trust Todd Gurley, even though this is a good matchup on paper against the Chargers. He's still going to have the goal line work. They proved that last week, even on was clearly only one knee right now. They were still trying to willing to give it to him inside the five. But he looked like he couldn't even get back to the line of scrimmage. So I don't see how you play Todd Gurley in this game. I have him at RB20. I'm probably going to be moving him down. I have him at RB20 on the idea that if he practiced in full this week and he was gave us some kind of indication that he was a lot healthier than what he was last week, that maybe we can expect the Todd Gurley that we've had for majority of the season, which is a guy that gets you 50 to 60 yards, but a touchdown or two possibly. But now with Julio Jones out, I question how much his offense is even going to be able to do, even against the Chargers, who are a lot better than what we saw against the Patriots last week. So that's why I don't want people overreacting to that, too. Like, oh, well, you know, the Chargers just got blown out. Their defense was nothing. It's mostly special teams. It's mostly crazy situations that led to that 45 to nothing defeat. They're better than that, especially the defense. And now with no Julio Jones with the Atlanta Falcons, I think they're going to get a chance to prove it here in Los Angeles. 
So the only guy I'm playing with confidence on the Falcons is Calvin Ridley. Now, right now, I have him at wide receiver 20. Obviously, with Julio Jones out, he'll move up for me a little bit. But he's still going to probably be more of a high-end wide receiver 2 than a low-end wide receiver 1 because the Chargers have been very, very good against wide receiver 1s and the opponents. Hayward's been good. And with Harris being back, that's why I don't think Russell Gage is going to be able to be anything without with Julio Jones out. And we know Hayden Hurst, who I did have as tight end 9, we know that he doesn't perform well when Julio Jones is out. Mostly because Matt Ryan doesn't perform well, but it's not like he gets extra targets or featured in any kind of significant way when Julio Jones goes down, which you know makes no sense, but that's what we've seen time and time again this, so far this season. It's just amazing how a wide receiver in this offense just affects so many things. Usually, you know, you're talking about the entire team taking a step down if the quarterback goes down. With this offense, it's, it's does Julio Jones play or not? It's crazy how contingent this offense is on him being active. So Calvin Ridley might be the only Atlanta Falcon that I actually want to play this game. And even then, I would have a lower ceiling expectation for him. We move on to the Chargers side of the ball. Things are going to bounce back. Like I said, they're a better team than what we saw last week. This is the Atlanta Falcons. Justin Herbert, who you've leaned on to be a QB1. If he didn't knock you out of the playoffs last week with that poor performance, you fire him up with confidence this week. You can All you can do is throw on the, fo- on the football on the Atlanta Falcons. That's all you can do. They've actually been pretty good against the run, but you can throw on them all day long. And you can throw, most importantly, you can throw the running back on the Atlanta Falcons. Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler are going to have huge games this week. Huge games. But Herbert's my QB5. I'm firing up as an elite QB1 option with confidence this week at home against the Atlanta Falcons. Austin Eckler, RB10 with one heck of a floor because I know he's going to get double-digit targets. Keenan Allen, my wide receiver for this week, great matchup. He's going to get double-digit targets. The volume is just going to be there. The guy, per usual, that I'm leaving out is Mike Williams. When the Chargers are in game scripts in which they're either close or leading, and they can just feature... I just got an update here that we do need to talk about. Todd Gurley is back on his regular schedule and is ready to go. So Todd Gurley might go back, somebody being who I might keep at RB20 then, uh, because we were just talking about that. It sounds like he practiced in full, so he actually is healthier than what we saw last week. So that was was what I needed to see in order to believe that I could still keep him as an RB2. So Calvin Ridley, Todd Gurley, if he actually is practicing in full and he's a lot healthier now, he might be able to get you a couple goal line carries if Atlanta is able to get a drive or two where they get in close like that. So it's a low end RB2. It's a, it's a low floor, but Todd Gurley's had a low floor all season long. You're playing him for the touchdowns. I think there's a chance that he can get that in this game. So I will keep him at RB20 now. We know he's practicing in full. So getting back into the Chargers side of the ball with Mike Williams, I want to believe that he can be and one of those guys that you can look for that's available a lot in waiver wires as a guy that you can play as a boomer bust option, but you just can't. The floor is just too low because when the Chargers are in pro game scripts, they'll just feature Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen over and over and over again, and they'll sprinkle in Hunter Henry when they, once they get inside the 20, which is why I have Hunter Henry as tight end seven this week. I like him a lot as well. But it all leads to Mike Williams just not getting targeted enough for you to be able to take that shot on him. But I'm playing everybody else with confidence in this game. Absolute confidence in this game. We're going to take a quick break. 
We'll come back on the other side. We've got the Sunday night game, the Monday night game to talk about, and, of course, the mailbag segment for you guys. So, everyone, please stay tuned right after this. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We've been going through these late window matchup previews. We talked about the Thursday night game in the beginning of the show. Anytime you need, if you need to listen to yesterday's show, we talked about the early window of games, or if you wind up you're tuning in now and you missed the first half of this show, make sure you go on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. It will be available there to you. And of course, download the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app on your Android devices or WWSRN on iOS. So now we got a couple more games to talk about for you guys before we get to the mailbag segment, before we close out the show for the first round of the playoffs. Exciting times. We have Washington and San Francisco in this matchup. San Francisco, again, playing at home at Arizona. Hopefully, this will be the last home game that they have to play at Arizona. We'll see how things go there in Santa Clara. As far as fantasy purposes go, we know Antonio Gibson's going to be out for Washington. We just, we, I mean, we know from the get-go. I don't know why they tried to keep him as doubtful all week long and then just make the guy out at the beginning because we know a turf toe, especially one that significant, he, he might not be back for the rest of the regular season. We The only time we might see him is if Washington winds up making the playoffs by winning the NFC East. That's the only way. Which right now they're in position to do so, them and the Giants for the most part. So J.D. McKissick is the running back that from a fantasy standpoint I would want to go into war with. Especially against San Francisco. Peyton Barber is going to be the guy who gets the majority of the carries. And of course he will be the guy that if they get in the goal line, he'll get an opportunity to score a touchdown. But you saw last week what Peyton Barber is. And I know that was against Pittsburgh, but San Francisco's run defense is almost just as stingy. And what we saw at Peyton Barber, that was, a, that was a Peyton Barber line. You know, 13 carries, 24 yards, but he finds a way to fall into the end zone. The guy you want is J.D. McKissick, especially if you're in half-point or even full-point PPR leagues. His floor is significant. Look at that game last week. 10 catches, 70 yards. In a game that they were close and, and ultimately won. We know J.D. McKissick has already had this rapport with Alex Smith since Alex Smith has come in where he gets targeted crazy. Now that had simmered down the past couple of weeks because they looked like they were starting to lean towards allowing Antonio Gibson to be unleashed and leaning towards him being the bell cow back. So it took away from J.D. McKissick having that role as much as he did early on. But now with Antonio Gibson out the rest of the way, I mean, J.D. McKissick's just going to be unleashed as far as the checkdowns are concerned. This is a guy outside of Terry McLaurin who actually has the potential to get double-digit targets any any given week as a running back. So he's basically your, your poor man version of Austin Eckler right now. He's RB26 for me. He's not going to give you much on the ground. He might not give you anything on the ground, especially in this matchup. Didn't really do it against Pittsburgh. But it doesn't matter. He gets... So many targets, they might as well be carries. And it's more successful out there for him in particular. So I think he's just, he's got a, you're not going to expect him off his ceiling, but he's got a great floor every single week from here on out. And I think he's definitely a high-end flex play, for sure. And in full-point PPR leagues, he might, be a, he might be an RB too because of the receptions that might be headed his way. So that's who I want to have from a fantasy standpoint is J.D. McKissick. 
Terry McLaurin, I know, is a bad match against Pittsburgh. They sold out for him. It was his worst game of the year. I know this is not a great matchup on paper against San Francisco either. You're playing Terry McLaurin. He's wide receiver seven for me. He's been a wide receiver one all year long. Play your studs. Don't fret. Play your guys. Logan Thomas is the other guy we got to talk about. Because everybody wants to hop on the Logan Thomas train after what he did to Pittsburgh last week. He had a great game and a tough matchup. Logan Thomas has disappeared more than once this season. Logan Thomas is playing against San Francisco, who has been stingy, despite all their injuries, have been very stingy against the tight end all year long because you have good safety play and you have a guy named Fred Warner in the middle. Logan Thomas is not going to have a good game this week. I don't even have him in the streaming territory. I have him as tight end 18 this week. Do not overreact. I'm going to keep saying it. Do not overreact to one game. One way or another, positive or negative. But playing Logan Thomas as a surefire tight end one against San Francisco based on the performance that he had last week is overreacting. He's tight end 18 for me. I'm telling you right now, he's not going to have a good game in this one. He's just not. We're going to see a lot of J.D. McKissick. And we'll see a lot. The big key is, and that's what led to Logan Thomas actually having a good game, is that they did everything they could to take away Terry McLaurin. The Niners don't do the same thing like that. They don't, they don't game plan to take one guy away. McLaurin is going to be back up to what his normal volume is, which will also take away from Logan Thomas on top of it being a tough matchup. Thomas is not going to have a good week. Can't stress that enough. Don't fall into that trap. Let someone else make that mistake. Now, on San Francisco's side of things, it's difficult. It's difficult. I want to trust Raheem Mostert. I have him as RB22. I have him as a guy. I do believe that you can play him. His ceiling, we all know that he can bust one out any given moment. And physically right now, while he came out and said that he's not going to ever be 100% this season from the high ankle sprain is nagging, physically to me, explosive-wise, watching last week, even though he only had, I believe it was nine carries, he looked pretty good. And he looked like he was on the verge of busting one out had he actually been fed the ball more. The problem is, like any San Francisco running back, their biggest obstacle is not the opponent. The biggest obstacle is Kyle Shanahan on the sideline, on their own sideline. Will you allow him to get at least 15 carries? I mean, that's all we're asking for when it comes to Raheem Mostert. We're not talking about a guy who needs 18 to 20 carries to have a big week. We're talking about a guy that if he just gets 15 carries, if he gets 15 opportunities, he can have as big of a ceiling as anybody with his, with his playmaking ability, with his explosiveness. Are you going to get to that point? Because otherwise, you need to hope he breaks one. Otherwise, you're going to have low floor performances like you had last week, like you've had the past couple of weeks, really. Because even the week before that, it was okay because he scored, but yards-wise, touches-wise, it wasn't there then either. Is Jeff Wilson going to have to continue to be a thing on, on passing downs as play as much as he did? His seven carries is actually a little misleading because he actually played snap-wise a lot more. So that's the biggest obstacle. I think you have to play Raheem Mostert, though, as a low-end RB2. He has a great ceiling. And you have to hope that as he doesn't have these setbacks, and he hasn't had a setback since he's been back each week, gets maybe Kyle Shanahan a little bit more confidence each week to give him a few more opportunities each week, that that will lead this week in your playoff matchups for him to get 
closer to that 15 number, which is usually when Raheem Mostert really turns in great fantasy performances. And it doesn't even matter who they're playing against. I know Washington's front is tough, but guess what? I don't care because as long as they can get out on the edge, and they should be able to because the offensive line is now healthy for the San Francisco 49ers, the one thing on their team that is healthy, Moser will have his opportunities. It's just, is Kyle Shanahan going to give enough of those to him in this game? I believe he has a decent chance for that to happen. A decent chance. I have a little... I don't, I'm not going to hit the breaking news sounder for this. I'm going to say I have a little bit more news, but it's not really breaking news sounder worthy. Savan Ahmed is going to be out again on Sunday. That just means we know Miles Gaskin is going to get a full workload. Kind of already ranked him as such as a high-end RB2 this week against Kansas City Chiefs. So just kind of give you guys an update there as that's come to the desk. Other fantasy-relevant players for the 49ers, talking about Brandon Ayuk, talking about Debo Samuel. Now, Debo Samuel has been limited in practice this week. He's going to be active, though. But he's just not 100%, and he's not even 100% in game shape either. I mean, I think we saw that towards the end of last week's game in the fourth quarter. They had to kind of keep taking him in and out, and he's just trying to catch his breath. Understandably so. I mean, this guy really hasn't practiced or played much since last year, frankly, because it's just been an injury-riddled year for him, and he has no offseason, hasn't been able to practice. So Debo Samuel, I think, is performing as admirably as he can. He is that, But he's in that wide receiver four territory for me. Now, while they both had nine targets last week, so it wasn't like Brandon Ayuk came in and completely usurped Debo Samuel, but to me right now, based on where he is from a physical standpoint, Debo Samuel that is, if he's not getting featured as the number one wide receiver, I just don't believe he has enough of a ceiling to be a bona fide wide receiver three. Especially in a tough matchup against Washington. Brandon Ayuk, on the other hand, because they are making this game plan, and it's it's very obvious on the field now, with having both Ayuk and Debo Samuel, they're making this game plan to try to take more shots down the field of Brandon Ayuk, try to set him up in more explosive opportunities. On top of the fact that he does a lot of the things that Debo Samuel does. He he's involved in the end of rounds. He runs he runs those quick out routes. So he's, he's kind of getting involved. And, and as far as a target share standpoint, I don't think either one of these guys really has the edge over the other one. So the, the opportunities are going to be there. The volume will be there. But he's getting more opportunities, more shots down the field to be explosive. I have him at wide receiver 29 this week. I don't think Kendall Fuller, who's been very good this year, is going to shadow one or the other in this situation. Because they're very similar, because they do similar things, because they're both leaned on, I think they're just going to stick to a side. Ayuk and Debo Samuel are, are interchangeable. They go in the slot. They get li- they line up on either side of the field. Kyle Shanahan does a good job motioning and moving these guys around to get mismatches. I think they'll get enough mismatches with both of these guys being away from Kendall Fuller throughout the game. And I'm not really worried about Washington being able to shut down any one particular wide receiver from that standpoint. Now, overall, I think this is going to be more of a defensive game, more of a lower scoring game in general, because that's how these two teams really want to be able to play with their decent defenses, which will you know lead to some limitations on the fantasy standpoint, which is why I only have Brandon Ayuk at wide receiver 29. But he is a guy that I think you can take a calculated hit-or-miss approach with, looking for those guys with explosive opportunities because of the way that they're playing him right now and because of the way he's playing right now, which is absolutely phenomenal. I think Brandon Ayuk's a wide receiver 29, a wide receiver 3. Outside of that, Jordan Reed, I know this is a, a, a revenge game and it's good to see him out there. And I do think he has top 12 potential because he has the volume heading his way. He scored last week. <coughs> he does have a rapport with Nick Mullins. So I think you can play Jordan Reed as a top streamer. 
but he still has a low floor because, again, I expect this to be a low-scoring game. Let's move on to the Sunday night game, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Buffalo Bills. My opinion, probably going to be the game of the week. And from a fantasy standpoint, what do we got? I mean, let's start with the Steelers' side of the ball. The biggest thing about the Steelers right now is the Buffalo Bills' defense is a different defense than what we've seen for the most part this season. Because with Milano back and a lot of their pieces back, this Buffalo Bills defense is going to actually remind you more of the Bills defense that you thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year, what you saw last year. Which is kind of a scary thought because if that defense starts to come together, the Bills, watch out. This is a legit team as we move into the playoffs here. With the way their offense is playing and if their defense can get back up to snuff, this is, this is going to be a tough team. Especially in the winter. Especially in, if they get a couple of home games in Buffalo. But from the fantasy standpoint here, the volume keeps Big Ben in the top 12 for me. I have him as QB 11 this week. I expect there to be some points scored here. These are two pretty good offenses. But the fact is, even with James Conner back in the lineup, the Steelers already showed when he was healthy and playing those past few, those, those few weeks before he got hurt that they've moved on into being this spread it out Roethlisberger is going to throw the ball 40 to 50 times for us, and that's what we're going to do offensively. Now, they need to find a way to get the running game involved. They need to find a way for play action to be effective, I believe, for Ben Roethlisberger to truly be at his best. But what we've seen for a while now out of the Steelers' offense is that they are going to just spread the ball and use their talented wide receivers as their main focus on the offense. And who can blame them? So the volume, even what I think is going to be a tougher matchup than most people realize from the Buffalo Bills side of the defense, it keeps him at QB 11 for me. So I think you can still play Ben Roethlisberger there. The wide receivers, a little bit more interesting. I mean, Deontay Johnson, straightforward. I, still, I have him wide receiver 19. I still have him as the wide receiver you want to have for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Juju Smith-Schuster, especially when it comes to half-point and full-point PPR leagues, while the yardage hasn't been there, the targets and the receptions have, which keeps his floor pretty high. I have him at wide receiver 32. The question mark becomes, can you play Chase Claypool? I don't know why. And from what I understand, Ben Roethlisberger, I guess, is this huge fan of James Washington. Also don't understand why, because James Washington's never been that great. But all of a sudden, we're having flashbacks now to the middle, beginning parts of the season when Chase Claypool was only splitting 50% of the snaps, essentially, with James Washington. And as a result of that, they're both eating into each other, making that third receiver, the Pittsburgh Steelers, not as usable as it should be. That's the problem we're running into. I have Chase Claypool at wide receiver 44. I don't trust that he's definitely going to be that third starting wide receiver right now. Apparently, roethlisberger has been advocating for James Washington for a while, and they finally let the snaps happen last week. It shouldn't be that way. Claypool is infinitely more talented. I think he does wonders for Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson overall as that offense wants to work. But that's how it's been. So Claypool is very much a hit-or-miss guy this week. Now, again, we talk about those running backs where you might want to take more hit-or-miss shots this week depending on your opponents and because they might have lower ceiling expectations. Claypool's still a guy I'm willing to take a hit-or-miss shot with. Don't get it twisted. But there's a much lower floor, and if you want a guy who's a safer play, Claypool's not going to be a a must-start for me in that sense. Eric Ebron is, though. Eric Ebron's a top-three tight end and probably will be the rest of the week. I know he's having trouble with drops, but the volume is just there. And for the most part, he's been pretty solid each week. 
Now we get into James Conner. Now, James Conner, Buffalo Bills haven't been great against the run. Again, Milano changes a lot of that, though. They're, I think they're going to be much tougher. And you have the Pittsburgh Steelers, who also just have neglected the running game outright, even when Conner was in there, you know, weeks ago. He's still an RB2. He's still going to be the guy, because when he's in there, he's been the guy. It hasn't been a committee, other than maybe here or there you get Benny Snell stealing a goal line carry. So I think if you have Connor, you still have to play him. But again, you have to adjust your expectations on his ceiling. He does have a low floor. So he's going to be more of a lower-end RB2 in my mind. But you still have to play him because he's going to be the lead guy. I do think that at least to start the game, we might see a focus to try to get the running game going or at least see if they can get the running game going. I think they kind of recognize that, especially after the Washington game, that the running game has to at least be a factor in some sort of capacity. And at least in the passing game for James Conner, who's a better pass catcher, or and at least a better pass blocker anyway than Benny Snell is for sure. So let's talk about the Buffalo Bills side of the ball. I have Josh Allen at QB 12. I don't have him as a lead end. Now, you're still going to play Josh. Josh Allen got you here. He's a QB 1. Even at QB 12, I still have him as a low end QB 1. But this Pittsburgh defense, while it's a little bit banged up at the moment, I feel like this team's going to come out and play a lot looser. Now they have that monkey off their back of trying to go undefeated. I mean, you even saw it after that game against Washington. They almost seemed elated that they lost, and that pressure was off of them. I think Josh Allen's going to have a hard time. While he looked very good against San Francisco, I think he's going to have a hard time with this style of Pittsburgh defense, with the way they've been playing. I think he's going to have a hard time dissecting the defense. I think he's going to have a hard time reading this defense. Now, his legs always give him a floor, but I don't think that ceiling that he's had throwing the football, like last week he goes over 300 yards and four passing touchdowns, I don't think that's there this week. So while you're definitely going to play Josh Allen, again, it's another situation where I'm just I'm adjusting for a lower ceiling for Allen. I don't think Allen's going to single-handedly win you this week like he has last week and in other instances this season. I think this might be back to what we saw a few weeks ago where we're starting to question is Allen just back to what he was last year. I don't think it's going to look that good this, this week. Not against the Steelers' defense. Now, Stephon Diggs, the outside wide receiver, has been able to have success. Now, I do wonder, though, after watching last week's game, will they have a similar game plan that they did for Terry McLaurin, which was pretty much sell out to take him away. They might, they might do very something, something very similar with Stephon Diggs this week. Now, I still have Stephon Diggs as wide receiver 24, and that's just a reflection of that fear because, frankly, he could be higher than that. The volume has been there. He's had one of the most consistent floors out of anybody out there. Hasn't really had the ceiling games that you would want out of a Stephon Diggs, but he has consistently been good every single week because they just target him come hell or high water. So you can definitely still play him, but I'm a little bit concerned about that. As far as the running back situation goes, I don't want to. I don't want to play a Buffalo Bills running back. Not just because the match against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is a, a reason, but who knows who it's going to be? I know Singletary dominated touches last week. That had more to do with the Zach Moss fumble. I don't think that Zach Moss fumble is going to keep him in the doghouse heading into a new game this week. They're going to eat into each other. It's not a good matchup. The Bills don't even utilize the running back position that much to begin with. I have Singletary just inside the top 36 here, but. Really, honestly, if you can find a better option, you really should, especially in your playoff matchups. So let's move into the Monday night game. And we got to do this quickly because I do want to get to the mailbag segment before we have to wrap up the show here. Lamar Jackson, you got Baltimore against Cleveland. We know that the first week, Baltimore absolutely blew the pants off Cleveland, but I also think this Cleveland team is different now than what we saw in the beginning of the year. 
different in how they're playing, different in their confidence level. Now, Lamar Jackson's still a top 10 quarterback to me. I have him as QB8 on the week. His rushing ability will always be there. Not to mention the fact that Cleveland right now is more vulnerable than they usually are throwing the football because you have no Denzel Ward. You can actually throw the football on these guys. Now, whether the Ravens will take advantage of that is a different scenario because even in games this year where they should be able to throw the football, it hasn't really been there. But it should open up the door with getting Mark Andrews back. Lamar Jackson will at least have a decent floor in his passing production along with should having some ability to always being able to run with the football. So Lamar Jackson's a QB8 to me. The question, I think, is more about the running game and Marquise Brown. Because Mark Andrews is the top top five tight end. I have him ranked as number four this week. He must play, obviously. Especially coming back off of COVID against Cleveland Browns, who have been terrible against tight ends to begin with. He's gonna, I, I almost guarantee Mark Andrews gets a touchdown in this game. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram, and apparently Justice Hill on passing downs now, is, is the nightmare scenario. My hope was, my hope was that we were going to see what we saw a couple of weeks ago for J.K. Dobbins where he became the lead guy, where he had 18 carries compared to Gus Edwards' two to Mark Ingram's, I think, zero that game, or maybe he had two carries as well. I can't remember, but J.K. Dobbins was the guy. We're hoping that we were going to see that. We didn't get to see that against Dallas. They went right back to the committee, and like I said, even Justice Hill seemingly has a role now in this offense too. If it's third and five and longer, he was in the game. So now Dobbins doesn't even have the, in theory, not that he was getting utilized a lot in that capacity anyway, but he doesn't even have, in theory, the passing work heading his way. I still have him because you can run the ball in Cleveland. I still have him as an RB3. I have him as RB28 this week. I even have Gus Edwards at RB36. So I, technically speaking, have both of these guys as RB3s as flex considerations. Now, I'd rather play Dobbins of them all. Dobbins played a little bit more than the other guys did. And I think if any one running back is going to possibly take over, it would be J.K. Dobbins. But this also isn't, while you can run on Cleveland, they're also not Dallas. It's not going to be that easy. So there's going to be, you have to lower your expectations for the ceiling. And if you have a running back who's only going to get 10 touches, maybe you're hoping for because of this committee, you probably have better options this week. But he is playable in that flex if you just need a floor play. Because he will, you know he's going to at least be involved and he should be leading in snaps. We'll see about yards and opportunities and stuff like that. But he's at least a flex consideration in this matchup. On the Cleveland side of the ball, we know you're playing Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt is my RB30. I still have him as an RB3, still as a flex consideration. Talked about this last week. He still had 17 opportunities. That's a bell cow back in almost every other offense in the NFL to get 17 opportunities. And while it's not a good matchup here against the Baltimore Ravens, especially with Brandon Williams and Clayus Campbell back in the lineup, I think you still can, and in most cases, probably will play Kareem Hunt. Austin Hooper, hopefully have better options. Ravens are pretty good against the tight end. Hooper is very touchdown dependent as it is. Nick Chubb, like I said, is my RB7. The only other guy I want to talk about a little bit here is Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is wide receiver 33. The targets have been there enough where I think he has a floor and you can play him as a wide receiver 3 in your flex. I'm not expecting a big performance here. I don't think anybody would against Baltimore, but there's been enough volume headed his way especially if this game is not a 40, 50-mile-an-hour wins. 
There's enough volume headed his way where Jarvis Landry, I think, still has a floor this week, especially when talking about half-point, full-point PPR leagues. So that wraps up all of our matchup previews. I want to talk about these questions a little bit quickly um, as before we go over too much time today. We're actually going to be a little bit longer on the show. JB asked me, Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady this week? Tom Brady, playing in Minnesota. He's coming off of a bye. Mike Evans is healthy. He has all of his weapons. It's, it's hands down Tom Brady. Like I said, the Buffalo Bills defense is a much better defense than what we've seen for most of the season now that they're healthy. And it wasn't just because it was Nick Mullins and the San Francisco 49er offense. We're going to get to see that on display this week too. Hands down Tom Brady. Hill asked me, Logan Thomas, Noah Fant, or Dallas Goddard? We talked about a lot, these, two of these tight ends, at least this week. Now, Noah Fant's definitely my highest-ranked tight end. He's tight end 12 for me. I know he hasn't had a big ceiling performance really this season, but with Drew Locke back, he has a certain target share that we can get mapped out. Talked about how I don't, I don't want you guys to play Logan Thomas this week. Terry McLaurin will be more involved. San Francisco's defense is tough against the tight end. I don't want to see you guys fall into that trap. And Dallas Goddard has a lot going on. New quarterback change. Zach Ertz probably playing a little bit more. There's a real risk here that it's a guy who winds up with three to four targets. It's a very low floor here. So I would rather play Noah Fant in that scenario. And last question, Dak. Dak Prescott? That would be kind of awesome. I doubt Dak Prescott would be wasting his time listening to this show, though. Dak asked me, T.Y. Hilton or Michael Pittman as a pickup? Now, I'm assuming this move was probably already made, but I thought this was a great question, and I wanted to put it on here because it's a question on everybody's mind. It's, it's essentially saying, who's really the wide receiver one of this Colts team? And I think because they've been winning and they're going into their playoff race and because they're going to lean on their veterans more, I think, here on out, I think it's T.Y. Hilton. That's why I have T.Y. Hilton as a wide receiver three. I don't have Michael Pittman as somebody you're playing this week. And they have another great matchup next week against Houston, which I think a lot of people are going to look to play Hilton for. So to me, T.Y. Hilton is definitely the pickup, and he might be actually fantasy relevant for the fantasy playoffs, believe it or not. That's going to do it for this show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to be heading into week 14, the first round of the playoffs. I hope MD Nation, I hope you're able to come back with us next week and listen and watch, because if you do, that means you probably won. Most people who lose are not going to waste their time on a fantasy football show. So hopefully we'll see you guys next week. Good luck to you. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy all throughout the weekend. We'll see you guys on Monday for the recap show of Week 14.